Welcome to the Self-Helpful Podcast. I'm Kevin Miller, and this is the podcast people tune into for in-depth discussions on the latest research from our foremost leaders in self-improvement, so you can be growing and more equipped to live at your fullest capacity in body, mind, and soul. Work at what you love. Work at what you're passionate about. We hear this message a lot, yet few people are really doing it, and I'm submitting here that we tend to view it wrong. Let's drop the baggage that you may have around the words like love and passion, and just think on something you care about. Wouldn't you rather have a surgeon, for instance, working on you who knows more than how to do the surgery itself, but really inherently cares about helping people? If she or he does care, they're likely going to do a better job and help you and themselves far more. What do you care about? That's a good fit for you and the marketplace. And then how do you best make money with it? This is our focus today to take an age old issue and breathe some new paradigm shifting light into it. My guest is Matt McWilliams. Matt has been helping people make money doing what they care about for a long time. People like Shark Tank's Kevin Harrington and Tony Robbins, even Michael Hyatt, Claire Diaz-Ortiz, Lewis Howes, Brian Tracy, and more. I've known Matt a long time, and I know firsthand from scores of people how he's helped them hone in on something they care about, and then his specialty, how to make money from it. And not simply so you can make money, but so you can make money in order to keep doing what you care about. I want you doing what you care about. It makes you happy and fulfilled. And from that, you will give happiness and fulfillment to others, to me. Matt is just now releasing his new book titled Turn Your Passions Into Profits. And it was my muse for this discussion. We really spent the majority of time talking about passion specifically and finding opportunities for that. And he really turns the tables on many of our misconceptions around the concept. So you're going to hear again, some paradigm shifting info right off the bat. And of interest, my publisher wants me when it comes time to get 250 or more pre-orders of my book on Amazon before publication date as it helps take it to the top of the ranking. Matt already has over 1,200 pre-orders and you can pre-order his book now and get a whole bunch of bonuses if you go to passionsintoprofitsbook.com slash self. So you can pre-order the book, check it out, pre-order it if you want to. And there's a bunch of bonuses that come with it. I think over $700 worth of stuff, Uh, passionsintoprofitsbook.com slash self. If you find value from this podcast, it'd be great if you subscribe, leave a rating and review. Best thing you can do is talk about what you heard here with someone else. Keeping the discussion going helps you get far more out of it than just hearing it once. You can always find me at my website or social media at kevinmiller.co. Next up, Matt McWilliams and I talk about finding that passion, but that thing you just care about and making a profit with it so you can keep doing it. Matt, I have known you for a long time and it seems like everybody I know knows you and has done business with you. <laughs> I think uh, the last time I saw you in person might have been Ke- with Kevin Harrington, the Shark Tank yeah. uh, famed guy who invented 
the infomercial and you were doing a big promotion with him and with Ziggler, I think, man. So it's just, it's great to finally sit down and uh, we're going to talk about you. So thanks for being here. Yeah, I was telling your dad on Wednesday because, you know, he's down there. He shows me the app, the weather app on his phone. It says it's 79 degrees down there. Yeah. And I said, you know, Dan, the first time I finally, or when I finally met you in person, the only time I ever got to go to the sanctuary in Franklin was during an ice storm. So yeah. thanks a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's down. <laughs> yeah, in- we had some, we had a lot of, a lot of guests that you've had were in that room. That yeah. Day. Well, a lot of people I've had on the show have worked with you doing what we're going to talk about today. And, you know, it's interesting. It was only a couple months ago I had legendary humanitarian and global visionary Lynn Twist on the show. Mm-hmm. And her whole focus is find something you care about, a cause, a, a mission, a purpose, find something and just commit to it. And it will make you into the person who can fulfill that. And so that's what we yeah. talked about there. Now here you are then and it's great timing to say, okay, how do you actually do that though? How do we take this thing that gives us life and actually do it as a vocation and to make money? And does that only mean that we're going to be a starving artist living on rice and beans? And, and I really want to dig in there with you. I mean, I know it's kind of elementary perspective, yeah. but we were living in a culture right now and people aren't doing it. We don't mm-hmm. love our work overall. We do it to make a buck. And of course we make less bucks because we don't really enjoy it. And so there's the playground we're going to be in today. Yeah. Uh, I mean, to, to, to your point there, the, the starving artist thing, uh, you know, our, our mutual friend, Jeff Goins has a book. Uh, we helped him launch it years ago called real artists don't starve. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think that's a, that's such a common belief. There's kind of these like two dichotomies, mindsets that turn into, um, you know, that turn into actualization for people. You know, the one is, uh, if I, you know, I, I have to make a lot of money and in order to be successful, that means money. And I, I don't need to do what I love. I just, it's about the money. It's about the money. It's about the money. The flip side of that is, you know, I have to do what I love and money doesn't matter. And, you know, I mean, like Zig used to say, you know, money, money isn't the most important thing, but it's reasonably close to oxygen. And mm-hmm. I like to look at it as, you know, if we're not bringing in the money, eventually we're going to burn out. And if we're not passionate about what we're doing, eventually we're going to burn out. Either way, the world misses out on your message. So either way, you lose, we all lose. And and that's what, you know, ultimately what what, what our mission is, you know, is to help people be able to marry both of those. They don't, you don't have to be a sellout to make money yeah. and you don't have to be a starving artist to have an impact, you know, like people just like Steve Jobs made just as much of a positive impact, in my opinion, as Mother Teresa. They just did it in very different ways. And, you know, one of them happened to be a billionaire when he died. So yeah. nothing wrong with one of those. Well, let's play with. I mean, this is, it's not that we haven't talked about this on the show, but again, it's, we talk about a lot of things that we aren't embracing, we aren't Mm -hmm. engaging. And so any effort to change the paradigm, that's what I hope we do today. So everybody listening, I hope we change your paradigm somewhat, even just on what does that mean by uh, passionate? You just said something that we're passionate about. I mean, the book's called turn your passions into profits. Well, I I did this a while ago, Matt, I probably a decade ago talking about this thing. And I thought, okay, what are the things that I'm passionate about that I care about that I enjoy? And I made this whole list. Okay. All these different things from, you know, trail running to woodworking to writing to whatever. And then I looked at it and said, yeah, but what do I actually want to make my vocation with? Well, I'm not going to yeah. make my vocation running trails or mountain biking anymore, or even woodwork. I, I, I've had people say, man, that, you know, the table you built for your family, you could sell that for $4,000. What? 
Okay. But I made it for my family. I have no desire to do that vocationally zero. And, and so I started going down through that. Yeah. I mean, talk about that. We're not talking about just what anything you enjoy, you should work at or anything that's fun. You should work at. I'm going to say that's not the case necessarily. Even if you're passionate about it, it's probably still going to be hard work. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, I think there's, I think there's a delineation between things that we're passionate about, things that we enjoy doing, things that are important to us. Not everything that is important to me am I passionate about, you know, in in the sense of, yeah, in the sense of like, it is important to me that we get our kids to soccer on time. I am not particularly passionate. Like for them, I want them to enjoy it. Uh, It's important for them to get there on time. But I do not wake up in the morning going, man, the thing that I have to do today is drive the kids to soccer. Like that's not a passion. I think it's also important to just kind of delineate between, you know, enjoyment. You know, I, I enjoy working out and I enjoy the results of working out. But I'm not particularly, I don't wake up in the morning going, this is the way that I'm going to impact the world today. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the whole premise of the book, it hinges on one belief, Kevin. It hinges on one belief, and that's that the world needs your message. The world needs your message, but it's not going to wait passively for it. We're not going to sit around patiently waiting for you to get out there and spread your message. We need your message, but we're going to move on without it. We're going to find somebody else who has that message. And so that's what I mean by passion. And you think, okay, what are some of the ways that that could, you know, that could manifest itself? Yeah, it could be in, in being somebody who spreads a word about natural healing, you know, in ways to to heal, you know, sore muscles without, you know, modern medicine and and, and more, you know, less side effects. That could be a way. It could be gardening. You think, well, how does gardening change the world? Well, just imagine hypothetically if every American was able to grow enough food even for a couple of weeks every year. Yeah. Would that not completely transform our entire society? Absolutely. You know, um, think about like I have a, one of the guys we write about in the book. His name's Adam Lean. Uh, he's an, he teaches accountants. And I remember I was teaching him the concept that's in step seven, which is champion your champion, their cause, be the hero to your audience, right? To your followers, be that champion. And we walk you through step-by-step how to do that. We can, we can talk about that, but he looks at me one day and he's like, dude, I teach accountants. How is that heroic? How does that, how's that, how can I be a champion to accountants? You know, like what impact is that going to have on the world? I said, Adam, you told me when we first talked and we were thinking about working together, And I was, you know, you were interviewing me, whether or not you should pay me a lot of money to coach you. And I was interviewing you, whether you'd be a right fit client. And you told me that the average client you have not only makes $12,000 more a year, but works 10 hours less per week on average. We think of accountants during tax season, they don't sleep, right? I'm like, your your clients are going are still making it home for dinner. They're still making it to their kids' names. You think you're not heroic? Why don't you ask their kids? Why don't you ask their spouse? Why don't you ask the kids who dad hasn't missed a game in years, the spouse who gets to go on a weekly date night or a monthly date night or whatever frequency they they choose, who gets to have that again and tell me that what you're doing is not heroic. You know, so that's what I'm talking about when I say a passion. He's passionate about that and it's having an impact. It reminds me of, and man, forgive me, Donald Miller, uh, his right-hand man who wrote his own book who I had on the show. JJ. What's that? JJ Peterson? No. Uh, no, uh, Tim. Yes, Tim Sure. Yeah, t- Tim Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And his focus on, 
And I'm going to paraphrase a little bit that what we often look at, okay, if I'm going to go out there and I'm going to change the world with my passions, I got to be the front man. I got to be the hero on stage and I got to be the front runner. And of course, Tim's focus was, yeah, for every one of those, there's a hundred people supporting them that are direly necessary or it's not going to happen. And so, yeah, to yours is your passion. Is it that frontline thing? Are you one of the people that's helping the other people do what's changing the world as well? I mean, it's all part of the, it's all changing the world. And that feels like it yeah. opens the door for so many options, especially if we get caught up, yeah, in the altruistic necessity of I've got to be mother Teresa in essence. Yeah. 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 I mean, my, my thing was, you know, Kevin, I, I thought when I started my first platform back in 2012, um, yeah, I remember in, in May of, of 2012, I was listening to the Andy Andrews podcast and, um, and I was, you know, I'm a huge fan of Andy. Uh, I was listening to his podcast and he had some guy that I'd never heard of named Michael Hyatt on. Yeah. You know, Michael's now a friend. He, he endorsed the book. He's been a client. Uh, he's been one of my mentors. Like he's one of those, you know, he's one of those people up there on the same level with Zig and Les Brown, you know, that has impacted my life. And well, I, I got a name I drop. I, I got a name drop then because I literally, yeah. when you came on Zoom call, I was typing back uh, Mike's assistant. Because uh, he's coming back on the show, he be the first person I found on had on for the fourth time. So, oh, wow, yeah, he's a mentor. To, a to be clear, Michael, not Jim, his Michael, assistant, right? Michael. Okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, they have a new book. They have a new book coming out too. He and Megan. So I'm sure. Yeah, that's that's what, that's what it's on. Probably going to talk about that. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We will. We will. Uh, okay, let me just going. say, I'm really glad his book is launching at th- uh, three weeks after mine because <laughs> you know he's such a he's such a good friend. I don't want to. You know, I don't want to beat him. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and uh, uh, yeah, yeah. So go ahead. So I know, yeah, part of your source. So yeah. you thought you so were going to go. I'm listening to yeah. this podcast and this, this guy, Michael Hyatt, is on and Michael's talking about starting a blog. His book platform had just launched. I'm yeah. like, let me read that. Read it with a friend of mine. Uh, we, I decided to start this blog. I got mattmcwilliams.com, got WordPress set up. And by gosh, I'm going to be a leadership and personal development guy because. I am. I thought I was passionate about that. I like leadership and personal development. I told you I am a leadership and personal development junkie. Yeah. I if if Patrick Lencioni, uh, John Maxwell, Michael Hyatt, or about one of about ten other authors, Gino Wickman releases a book, I'm going to be one of the first five thousand people to read that thing hmm. and then talk about it with all my friends. That's me. And I'm like, I, that's what I want to blog about. I want to change the world because if I can help people with personal development, if I can be like a Kevin Miller, if I can do that, if I can be a leadership guru that I'm going to change the world. And the reality was I wasn't really passionate about that. I, I I thought that was my passion, but everybody kept coming to me and they were saying, and it doesn't matter what, what this is, by the way, the mine being helping people run affiliate programs and do affiliate marketing. We can talk about that if you want. It doesn't matter what it was. They could have been saying, Matt, you should be teaching gardening. Matt, you should be teaching, you know, soccer. That doesn't matter. But they said, Matt, you need to teach people affiliate marketing, how to start affiliate programs. You're helping all these people do these amazing things. You're working with these big companies and people like Michael and people like Shutterfly and Adidas and eventually, you know, Tony Robbins and guys like that. And I'm going, but I don't want to be the affiliate guy. Now, fast forward today, my podcast, as you know, is called The Affiliate Guy. And I wish I could say, Kevin, I was some sort of a genius. I'm Matt is a branding genius because guess what everybody says in their emails now? You need to meet Matt. He's the affiliate guy. And I wish I could say that was so smart of me. Gosh, it's because I'm I'm just this brilliant person. It's not. I actually named it The Affiliate Guy because for years I said, I don't want to be the affiliate guy. Hmm. And I remember very vividly, I was walking down the stairs one night and our stairs make a turn and I got to the the flat part there and this thought hit me. I went, oh my gosh, 
And I remember standing there. It was probably like 45 seconds, but it felt like it was 20 minutes. And I'm standing there going, this is amazing because just previously we had had one of those bedtimes. I know having kids, you know this, that you got multiple kids. Bedtime is a 50-50 proposition. 50% of the time, the kids are fighting. One of them's doing something they shouldn't. And then they're taking too long and you tell them to brush their teeth and you give them 20 minutes to brush their teeth. You come back in and their teeth aren't brushed. And you're like, how did you manage not to brush your teeth? That's half the time. But this night we had one of those peaceful bedtimes where it couldn't have been better. It was the, it was the type of thing where you go, you go on Instagram and say, this is what bedtime's like every night because I want to seem perfect. Right. You know? And I'm standing there going, oh my gosh, there are thousands of other people having this kind of bedtime tonight because I taught some people affiliate marketing. Because you see, a few weeks before, I'd been on the phone with my friend Dana Abraham who had a course called Calm the Chaos. Helps people, well, do exactly that. Calm the chaos with their kids. And I said, Dana, it sounds like you need some help with your affiliate program. Like, can I step in and just help you for a few weeks? And she goes, please, can you? She's like, I was afraid to ask, but thank you so much. And we helped her go from a $125,000 affiliate launch to a $300,000 launch. We helped uh, one of her affiliates who had a goal of five sales make over 40. A, a pre- affiliate who previously made zero sales make 17. Their top affiliate went from like 30 to 65. And my first thought when I help somebody do that is I go, man, I helped entrepreneurs win because I love entrepreneurs. That night on the stairs, Kevin, I went, oh my gosh. I don't know why it didn't hit me before, but I went, I helped them sell more parenting courses. That means there's other parents having the same feeling I'm having right now. I've done something important. And all I did, this is the lesson. It doesn't matter what it is. All I did was teach people affiliate marketing. I teach them how to send a few extra emails and how to how to get over the mindset that you don't, you know, that you can be a little promotional, how to tell them what Zig said so many times, which is selling is just a transfer of feelings and selling is serving. And that's all I did. I didn't do anything world-changing, and yet I changed the world. And I was like, oh, I got the name for the podcast. It's the affiliate guy. Because it's going to be a reminder to me every single day. Yeah. Never say I don't want to be the okay, affiliate. Okay. Let's. I want. I want to go right. Right there. That when you okay. say so, here you got the book now. Turn your passions into profits. So now you're going to be the, you know, profits the passions guy. So he's sure. all about that. But what you just said is, in your, a majority of your day to day work, helping people create affiliate programs and create revenue for their businesses ultimately. Mm-hmm. That is not the end in and of itself is what you just said. It's not that you wake up in the morning going, oh my gosh, I can't wait to help do the next affiliate program. I, I'm going to... It is to some extent. Well, hold on. But but it, yeah. but, it's, but isn't it to uh, help them do that because it's going to help further their message, which you may, may yeah. you know, that you're interested in. It's going to help them and their family. It's going to have a butterfly effect, ripple effect to so many people. So when you think I'm going to help them with this affiliate program, the breadth of that is so much bigger than just that one task is what I'm interested in yeah. people hearing so that if they're an accountant or if they are a, you know, a garbage truck driver or, or whatever it is that they got to get broader with what that is, which I think is an interesting point here because we do have a lot of people, especially in corporate America, who are pretty disassociated mm-hmm. from the end result of what they're doing. They're up there and they're pushing a pencil 
uh, up in a high rise and they may be a little, so this is, this would be the time to get a little broader on what is it you're actually doing and can you attach a passion to that? And if you can't, maybe you need to look elsewhere, but there's probably more opportunity to see a bigger picture. Yeah. I mean, I get joy. My passion is both. Like I'm a marketing nerd and I'm a, you know, I'm an entrepreneur nerd and I, I am, I, I love entrepreneurs. I love, I just, I love them. Like all of them, you know, I just, I like I, everyone I meet, like I could, talk, that's why I can't go to conferences anymore. Cause I just end up wanting to talk to people all day. <laughs> you know, they, it's like, I'm an introvert. I am, I'm actually an extreme introvert by nature. And, uh, but they have my, my team calls it conference mat because when it, when conference mat comes out, I become the biggest extrovert in the world. Why? Because I'm around my people. When I'm around other entrepreneurs, yeah. those are my people. And I just want to talk to them all day. Put me in an environment like, you know, again, to use soccer, for example, when I'm around people that I, that aren't entrepreneurs and I can't relate to sometimes I'm like, I'm going to go over here and stand by myself yeah. because I, I, I hold up, you know, I just kind of like, that, that's where you'll find ball. me at my kid's soccer game is over by myself. Yeah. watching. And, yeah. and so the, the funny thing is about that. I'm anything about all that is like, I'm passionate about that, but yeah, like, what I'm more passionate about is the end result because when we helped Michael Hyatt, you know, we helped him go, uh, again, numbers wise from about a 300,000 to a $1.25 million launch of, of his course, five days to your best year ever, you know? And you think about that. Okay. So you helped a, a wealthy entrepreneur make an extra million bucks. What do you do? Well, we, that means if I'm doing the math, right, we'll just go 900,000 to that's, uh, 4,500 extra people in mostly in the United States, 4,000 additional Americans set and achieved goals in the next year. You can't tell me that that doesn't have an impact on their communities. You can't tell me that that is is not producing hundreds of millions of dollars for the economy. You can't tell me that that didn't produce at least 4,000. So multiply that by 2.5 kids, 10,000 kids had better parents that year. How many better leaders? I mean, what was the trickle down effect of us helping him sell 4,500 extra courses? I don't know. That's the thing is I'll never know, but I know it was something pretty amazing. When we do that, when we help, you know, Kevin Harrington and to be able to to help more people, when we work with the, the different people, like, you know, Dana, it's one of those where you go, oh, wow, we helped, you know, somebody in the parenting niche. So there's a, there's a very linear connection between helping parent and impacting children. We all get that. Helping people set better goals, hmm, you have to think about that one for a moment. But again, I know the impact that it had. We work with people in the health and fitness space. Uh, I think collectively, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say I've helped people lose a quarter of a billion pounds hmm. in the last five years. What kind of an impact? Like, I'm surprised Earth isn't just floating off into space. Like, how good is gravity when yeah. you help people lose quarter of a billion pounds? I don't know. But what kind of an impact is that? How many years did we add to the lifespan of those people? I don't know. What kind of impact? How many, you know, how many more people are going to meet their grandkids? I don't know. But it, when you think about it like that, yeah, the, it's really easy to get up in the morning and go, all right, this is this is a big deal. And I can't tell you how many times this applies to all of our work. There are times where what I really want to do in that moment, Kevin, I'm like, I'm not superhuman. What I want to do is go check Facebook. Hmm. What I want to do is pick my phone up and grab my, my wordist game. I get to play word games because that's going to make me smarter. It's going to have an impact on me. 
And I go, no, you know what I really need to do is I need to reach out to 30 people who I know would be a really good fit for this, you know, promoting this. I need to put in the grunt work for 30 minutes to reach out to these people and see if they might be interested in promoting. Because I hate doing that. That's grunt work to me. I'm, but I do it because of that impact. I'm glad you said that too, because it kind of points back. I need to, I need to memorize who is attributed with saying, maybe you remember, you know, if you find the work you love, you'll never, never work. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. It's a a musician for sure. Something like that. If you find what you love, you'll never do a a day of work. Like it's all going to be fun and, and play. And I don't find that. I find, man, the work that most no. fulfills me, that's most passionate about, there's a lot of grunt. There's some mm-hmm. stuff that I just kind of loathe doing and I'll find myself, yeah, on Facebook or in my, I'm playing word feud with my oldest son. Uh, we just like Scrabble <laughs> and I'm, and I'm going to that and I'm, I find it. And I mean, I want to change the world. I want to do this, but um, and this piece of it is just not fun, but it's just part of it. My gosh. So we're talking about your book. I have just completed uh, my book. We'll be talking about that. You and I will uh, next, next Love day it. it'll come out. Yeah. Oh my gosh, man. The amount of work that I didn't really care to do, but if I'm going to write a book, you got to do the details, the editing and the, this and the, that and whatever. Uh, am I passionate about it? Yeah. Was it all fun? Um, no, no, I avoided (laughs) some of it. Matter of fact, I'll have to say this. My book is going to be a year and a half past the publishing date initially set because I drug my feet on all the pieces I didn't want to do. Yeah. But it still falls in within that passion. And I, so I appreciate you. I, I want people to hear that to, to look bigger. I'll, I'll never forget Matt judging a guy who his passion, he says, man, it's boards, wakeboards and snowboards, wakeboard mm. in the summer, snowboard in the, that's what I'm passionate about. And I'm thinking really doesn't sound very altruistic, that life changing until I heard the rest of the story. He is so passionate about getting families together helping them in these experiences, create these memorable experiences and get them outside. And he just loved the joy that he helped create. Uh, Oh, and it broadened my mind. And I think, again, we get so narrow into the role, the the one specific duty uh, that we're doing instead of what you're talking about is the bigger picture. So you talked, talked about the message, right? Everybody's got a message. Let's go down that road. Like, I don't think people believe it. Yeah. I don't think people believe it. And there's going to be somebody out there who's really struggling, as you know, to go, I, hmm. dude, I don't know what my message is. I haven't lived some great big story. Um, really? And so is it, do you tie some of that up into some of the things that we do with expertise, with brilliance? It's just common to us and we don't really understand the value of it. Yeah. I mean, that, that, that voice that you kind of just touched on that's saying, uh, you know, the world doesn't need your message. Uh, the, the same voice is also saying there's there's other people saying the same thing. There's already a book about that topic. First of all, the statistics show that less than 0.001% of anyone will read any particular book. And that's the best-selling book. You know, I mean, think like all, all of our listeners have probably, all of your listeners have probably read How to Win Friends and Influence People. You can go to an entrepreneur's conference or a business conference and mention that book and you're not going to get a lot of like, who the heck, what, what the heck are you talking about? Do you realize though, like, I think that book last time I read, if I'm doing my math right on the population that has lived since that book was published worldwide and what it has sold worldwide, it is less than one one hundredth of 1% yeah. have actually read that book. Probably less than 2% have ever heard of the book. You know, there's something I do in the in the mar- in the marketing world. A lot of times, people come in and go, 
well, affiliate marketing is dead or uh, virtual summits are dead. Podcasts are dead. And, and, and I'm like, really? Like the statistics say they're growing. So let's go to Target, not Walmart, but Target. You know, Walmart can be kind of weird. <laughs> let's go to Target. Ask 100 people. Do you listen to do you listen to podcasts? Have you been to a virtual summit? Have you been to a conference? Less than 3% of people will have done any of those things. Yeah. If you think they're dead, no, I think they're just at the I mean, like dead is not when 3% is, is of the population has done something and it's at its highest point ever. That's just that's like coming to life. This medium is coming to life. So you think, oh, there's already a podcast about that. Okay. Well, let's look at that from a practical standpoint. Let's look. There's there's already a Kevin Miller, you know, doing interviews about personal growth, essentially just you know, self-development, right? If I were to sum it up in a big tent. All right, well. Kevin is a middle-aged white man. You are an African-American woman, or you are younger than Kevin, older than Kevin. You don't have kids. You do have kids. You've got six tattoos. You can talk about very similar things, but from a different perspective. And we can dig yeah. more into that. But ultimately, really what it comes down to is just this, like, it's that lie of your comfort zone. Your comfort zone, it's the devil on the shoulder, right? And it's saying you can never make a difference. Your work doesn't matter. The message that you've been like you've had inside of you, you've had inside of you, it's always going to be restrained. It's always going to be restrained by bills to pay, societal pressures, uh, your mom and your dad. I mean, I'm 43, and you know what? I still hear my mom and dad in my in my head. Yeah. You know, that's just like all these people who've laughed at the dreamers. That's what's holding us back. And if you haven't realized. You know, here we are in 2022, 2023, that the economy is drastically different than it was 20 years ago. It's drastically different than it was three years ago. It's drastically different than it was about 45 minutes ago. Like yeah. it has changed since we got on this gap. Yeah. Since you started listening, the economy is changing that fast. Like that's the reality. All right. And so the reality is we're all messengers now. You're a messenger. I'm a messenger. And messengers are the ones who are defining this new economy. And so I mentioned earlier, like the whole premise of the book, the world needs your message, but we're not going to wait for it. So what I want to do is unleash that. To your point, we can we can dive in if you want. Like there are people going, well, I don't even know what the heck I'm passionate about. I don't know who needs my help, who I'm supposed to serve. That's the whole first step is to clear. We can, we can dive into that if you want. Well, I, I do, but I, you mentioned perspective and I think that's mm -hmm. one of my favorite things to look at that. Yeah. There's no topic. Anyone is going to talk on participate in that. They can say they're the absolute best. We just can't, that ship has sailed. We cannot do that. Anything that you're going to talk about, people are going to know there's a lot of other people talking about it. So what we've got though, is, as you said, our perspective, our flavor, anybody listening to this show with you is doing so because for whatever reason they resonate with me, as you said, uh, you know, middle-aged white yep. American male who lives up in the mountains, has nine kids and mountain bikes a lot and yada, yada, but they like my perspective. And I'm so grateful for the testimonies I get. I get 600,000 yep. uh, over 6,000, 600,000 downloads uh, a month. So you're going to be on what? 150 other podcasts. How many other podcasts are you going to be on? Uh, just, just for the book. Yeah. Yeah. Almost 200, almost 200, <laughs> almost 200 yeah. podcasts crazy. that you can go listen yeah. to somebody talking to Matt about his book, turn your passions into profits. And some of those are going to get, you know, 6,000 downloads a month and somebody's going to get 6 million downloads a month. So I'm, you know, in the middle range here. 
And here I am with a very lucrative podcast uh, because there's enough people that like my flavor, my perspective out of 200 others that you're going to be on. What a great opportunity yeah. Yeah, to know that if you're into gardening, like you talked about, you probably got a different perspective. You're going to connect and resonate with a different audience. Now you got to do the work and we're going to talk about that here. It's like, we got to do the work. It's not just going to happen. Um, the, the, the build it and they will come. I don't really believe in anymore. You got to do the work. Nope. So, yeah. Step one, as you said, clarify who you help. And my favorite part of your book there was really the focus on who is that perfect person. You said the, the avatar. Yours is Pete. Uh, I know. And that is the perfect yeah. person. Explain that. Because uh, we're in this age when we think we got to reach everybody. We got to say it in a way that nobody will be offended. Everybody will resonate. I think you're going to say that's impossible. Figure out the one person because for every one person, there's going to be enough of those to make an audience on finding that specific person, that avatar of who you can help best. Is that fair? Yeah. Uh, it, it starts with the three questions uh, that I go through in the book. The three questions to kind of help you get clear on who it is. Then we go into the avatar. So that first question okay. is, what is it that people are always asking you for help with? And I'll right. tell you right now, these three questions have, uh, with our coaching clients, have worked on 99.999% of them. I had one, I'm not, no joke, the one who we just we had to keep going and digging. And finally, I'll give you an exercise that's not in the book for that one person out of a couple thousand that this, these don't work for. But what is it that people are always asking you for help with? Like they're always coming to you. You're the go-to guy for this thing. You know, mine, it was, how do I grow my list? How do I do affiliates? How do I do affiliate marketing? Uh, Jonathan Milligan, you know, who was, he was one of those people in that room at your dad's that day. You know, he had a career blog and he thought, man, my passion, you know, my business is helping people with resumes, interviews, getting hired. But the thing that people were saying, Jonathan, can you help me with was, how do I start a blog? How do I start a blog? How do I start a blog? So he started blogging your passion, you know, a few years ago. Uh, the second question is, what is it that people say is really interesting about you? I don't know. Are, are you a fan of hardcore history by chance? Me, I'm uh, Dan not. Carlin? No, uh, but I know of okay. him. Yeah, Dan huge, is, huge podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, to give you some perspective, when he launches a new episode, it is the number one podcast on all of iTunes for like three days, wow. you know, or, or whatever. It's Apple podcast. Now it's huge. Dan's not a historian. And he says it in every episode. I'm not a historian, but here's what I think. Boom, boom, boom. How did he end up in this position hosting a history podcast? Well, it came about because they'd be sitting there at Thanksgiving dinner and he would tell a story about some random soldier in world war one or you know, the battle of the bulge in world war two or how the Korean war actually came to an end or whatever, you know, stuff like that. The stuff that we don't learn in history class, but it's 10 times more fascinating. Yeah. Right. And people would be like, Dan, that's really interesting. You're a really good storyteller. And he was like, maybe I could do a business out of this. You know, the third one is what did you struggle with? But now you enjoy success at, uh, one of my favorite stories in the whole book here, I think, let me grab it. I think it's like four pages long. Our mutual friend, Alan Thomas. Yep. Um, Alan, let's see here. Yeah. One, two, three, five pages almost is how long his story is in the book. Um, Alan woke up one day, he was almost 60 years old and realized, oh my gosh, you got on a scale? I weighed 304 pounds. Nine months later, he weighed 175. Now, the thing is, Alan had been overweight, obese for 50 years. He was the husky kid. He was the fat teenager. These are his words. He was the overweight 20 something start, got married and he was fat and so on and so forth. Those are his words, not mine, just to be clear, you know, yeah, yeah. but that's, that's what he, he'd always been that. And then all of a sudden he found the system. He found how he could lose weight. 
And so now he coaches other people. Now, if you're in that, if you're in that 0.001% and you're still stuck and you're like, okay, Matt, I've got three things that could fall into any of these categories. Um, I, this is one of those sections, as you know, when you work with a major publisher, you have to take stuff out of your book. You have mm-hmm. to kill the sacred cows. And this is one of those sections where it was about 2000 words. And I was like, I'm not taking this out of the book. And then we finally killed it. And I cried for a couple of days. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so what if you're stuck? If you're in that small percentage, uh, here's an exercise that I take clients through. And that is you, you sit down, you set a timer for 20 minutes. I want you to write down blog post titles, podcast titles, book titles, whatever. They don't have to be thought out. It doesn't have to be seven ways to or 10 ways to just topics that you could create content around as fast as you can for 20 minutes. Then go take a 20 minute walk, come back and do it for the next one and the next one. At the end of that exercise, every time that I've ever had to do that with people, we've had, they would have like 88 and then 32 and 24. You know, or they would finish the first one and go, oh my gosh, that's my thing. I know I'm not going to write nearly that many for the next two. And that's a signal that it's really easy for you to come up with messaging, content, videos, podcasts, whatever it is to reach your audience. So then we go in to the avatar. And the key here is just really like the key with those three questions is to, to, to clarify who you help is to be intentional. It's to be intentional. Like you get to choose who you help. That's the thing. We don't just, oh, these people are the people coming to me. No, we get to choose who our audience is. And so the premise behind the avatar is if you try to serve everyone, you end up serving no one. We're not, yeah. most of us aren't selling toilet paper. If you were selling toilet paper, your audience truly is everyone. But even then it's not. Yeah. Because some toilet paper is for people who run hotels and they what do they want? They want decent toilet paper that doesn't cost too much so they can buy a million of, right? right. And then other people, it's a higher end. You know, like there's even... Oh my gosh, the most commodity item on the face of the earth that two years ago we were practically killing each other to get in stores. And even that, you still have an avatar. Yeah. You still have an avatar, you know? And so when we create this avatar, it's that fictional person that represents our audience because ultimately we're not creating content. We're not selling products to the masses. We're not selling products to our audience, to our list. I hate those terms. You know, we're not selling to, you know, our buyers, our customers. We're selling to our avatar. And mine's name is Pete. And I write that in all caps and I'll explain why in a second. But it starts with that name. You give the person a name. What is that fictional name that represents your audience? A lot of times, like it was for us, it's an actual customer. It was our very first buyer. The first person who ever bought anything from me happened to be named Pete. Now, the irony of this is my audience is actually about 51% female and my avatar's name is male, but it represents like when I think about where Pete was when he emailed me and said, Matt, I bought your product. Here's a little explanation of my life and where I'm at. I went, that's, that's who I want. You're, you're the guy. So you're my avatar. Then you want to list their values and their aspirations. What are the things that they they value? Pete values time with family, but he also values hustle. You know, so he's not one of those people who's going to work 80 hours a week, but he's also not going to work 40. He's going to work at night and he's going to get up early. He's going to sacrifice things like sleep, but when he has downtime, he has downtime. That's just one example there. The third thing you got to do is think about what are their pain points? And I'm not talking about like, oh, Alan's pain point is he was overweight. And that kind of sucks. His clothes don't fit. He's conscious about his weight. No, the pain point he had was, I'm going to be Angie's first husband and someone else is going to walk my daughter down the aisle. Mm. That's pain. You're trying to help people quit smoking. It's not that 
they smoke, not that they're addicted to something. That's not even it. It's they're going to miss the birth of their grandkids. They don't have the energy or the the lung capacity to go up three flights of stairs without having to stop. That's their pain point. And then fourth, like we got to understand before I move on, we got to like, we got to understand that deep seated pain. So it's hidden underneath the obvious visible pains, right? Then we list their info sources. Like I would imagine a good chunk of my audience listens to your podcast. Hi, everyone. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Like they listen to you. They listen to, you know, Pat Flynn's show. They listen to Ed Milet. So where, where are they getting their, their information from? If you're in an industry where maybe there is a, a political angle, you know, you, you need to know, are they watching CNN or Fox News? Like that's something you've got to know. So what podcasts, what do they read newspapers or magazines? Are they people who watch the 24 hour news or do they catch the, the newspaper the next day? You know, even if it's online, what social media platforms are they on? If any, you know, we think everybody's on social media. Mm, actually not. I have, I know quite a few industries where less than 40% of their audience is, has logged into a social media account in the last 30 days. You know, it's, it does exist in, you know, in today's time, believe it or not. So list those info sources, know where, where, who else they're interacting with. Look at those. Part of that is so you can zig when they're zagging. You know, if you look at it and it's like, Hey, look, it's six guys in that industry and they're all, they all wear three piece suits in all their videos. Maybe you need to wear just a blazer. If they're all wearing, you know, if they're all pretty much more buttoned up and wear, you know, like that, maybe you wear a hoodie. Maybe you wear a t-shirt. If they're all wearing hoodies, maybe you're the one who actually does wear the three-piece suit or at least a nice blazer. I don't know, but think about ways that you could stand out. We can talk more about that. And then lastly, you got to describe them demographically. Um, I know, for example, that almost two-thirds of my audience are getting into this because they're setting up an encore career. They're over the age of 55. Um, I am I am literally 13 years younger than the average person in my audience. Yeah. The average person in my audience is almost 57 years old now. I'm about to turn, I'll be 44, you know, next year. And so like, that's what we're seeing, you know, with my audience. So I, when I know that, I know that there's something interesting about the average person being 57, Kevin, that took me three years to figure out. They may not be making any money in their online business, but just because they're not making any money in their online business doesn't mean that they don't have money because they've been in the business world for 30 plus years. They have disposable income to be able to start their business. They're in a much different place than a 27-year-old who's trying to start his business and he's got 1200 bucks in the bank and a freezer full of hot pockets. <laughs> you know, it's very different. So understanding your audience demographically is that final point in the avatar. And when you do that, then you know exactly who you're serving. Well, I love how you just kind of gave some parameters on who your audience is and is not. So here's Matt McWilliams, who's an expert in online marketing, affiliate marketing, turning passions into profits. And he's speaking to these people. Well, you just told the the avatar that you have in the age range and, and, and everything. Well, what does that showcase? Man, there's a whole lot of, you talked about that. They're not the 20 year old, whatever. Well, somebody else has an opportunity to talk to them because you're not. That's not the the. That's not who you're exactly. positioning your voice and your flavor to. So there, as somebody else is listening to this, 
That's why there are so many segments and somebody else is going to do that and go, yeah, but I work with this specific minority group on this type of stuff to help them with online marketing. And we've got so, I mean, it opens the door and for every, every point of that, even that, even as you say, this is my specific demographic, like you talked about, you're a middle-aged white American male. And even in your specific demographic, Mm -hmm. your avatar, we need, I don't know, a hundred, a thousand different types of people with different flavors and different perspectives offering this information. Yeah. yeah. And, and there's, I'll give you an example. There's a lot of people out there. We, we have that my, that um, mental image of like online marketing and the example I always have, there's, I'm not going to mention his name because I just don't think it's my place to, mm-hmm. but he got in trouble. This is like about 12 years ago because he had an ad of him standing in front of a $200,000 car mm holding up this big check, like a publisher's clearinghouse check as though he had received it from an ad network. They were paying him $50,000 for a month's worth of performance. And that was just one example. And it was this big check. The check didn't cast a shadow. Oh no. It was Photoshopped back when people still used Photoshop, (laughs) you know, it was Photoshopped and he got in a lot of trouble. Here's the deal. It's not to me. It's not even about the fact that he was lying. Although that's a big deal. It's that, he felt that he had to, and maybe he did, his his image was the flashy car and the check and, you know, the bling bling, right? That was his image. That's not my image. First of all, it's not who I am. Like, I wear the same thing every day and, you know, we drive a four-year-old car because I my, my wife used to work for Dave Ramsey, <laughs> you know? So new cars, like, we're not buying one of those probably anytime in the next few years. Yeah. But my brand is more about, like, I'm a dad who coaches soccer and lives in Fort Wayne, Indiana. And yeah, I have nice things and we enjoy nice vacations. And occasionally we splurge on a, on Ruth's Chris every now and again, when we, when we want to, but otherwise, like, I'm, I'm just like, I'm not going to be one of those people who's like, look at me on my private jet. There's nothing wrong with that. If that's their, if that's their brand, like I'm not, I'm not judging them or criticizing them, but I'm over here with this message. And so what do I, all the emails I get, don't go, oh, man, I follow you because I'm going to be a multi-billionaire and yada, yada, and yeah, man, I love your private jet. They're all saying, man, I love the fact that you're down to earth. Mm-hmm. I love the fact that sometimes on your videos and you don't edit them, your son walks in without a shirt on and says, hi, everyone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, he might end up showing up on this. Like there's about a 20% chance he'll just come down here and start talking to you, right. you know? That's my, that's part of my brand. And so I, I lean into that. I lean into the fact that I'm not the, the flashy car guy, you know, I'm not the, like, we don't have all that stuff. And I'm not, I'm not one of those people who like, I, I'm not against, you know, posting 55 times on social media a day. I just, I just don't, you know? And so that's part of, again, it's who I am. Uh, one of the things I write about in, in the book is a, the, somebody asked Chris Rock, so we're talking about kind of building that. I was going to bring this up. I love this. I love okay. this quote. Yeah. So, so go, go. And, and standing out. And they said, you know, somebody asked Chris that, you know, Chris Rock, the comedian, for those of you who don't know. And they yeah. said, Chris, are you like this all the time? You know, Chris is outlandish. He's over the top. And he's like, no, I'm not like this all the time. He said, I'm me when I'm on stage. I'm me, but I'm three times me. In other words, it is a true representation of who he is. But if you go to dinner with him, is he going to be, you know, doing all that and doing all the voices? He might do a few voices. He probably will at some point, but is he going to do them a hundred times in the course of an hour long dinner? No, he'll probably do 20. Is he going to be as loud? No, of course not. He's not on stage. He's just hanging out with his buds. 
So it's him, but it's three times you. And so I talk about just amplifying those things. Like it, the best example I think is if you've ever been to a fair and sat down and had the, the caricature, the exactly. Yeah. They find your thing. Yeah. They find yeah. your thing. So you, Kevin, would end up with like a really bushy beard. <laughs> you know, when I think about it. if you've got big ears, then your ears take up the ins- entire side of your head. You know, if you've got really blue eyes, like my daughter, her eyes are some of the deepest blue I've ever seen. They're going to make them like sky blue and, you know, and all those things, whatever it is, if you've got a slightly larger than normal head, it's going to be ginormous, you know? And so I don't know what they, I don't know what my caricature would be because I actually am probably one of the most bland people on earth appearance wise, but I have to think about that one. Well, I but, have a scar nose, but I know, like, so. I like broadening that out because I just went through this process, Matt, in my own branding and positioning. And it's funny. You say yeah. that with my bushy beard, uh, you know, as most of my people are audio it's listeners. not that bushy well, though. That's the thing. I, I know, the caricature would the be caricature bushy. Would. Yeah. But for the people yeah. who hear that and wonder what, because my face on the uh, podcast graphic does not have any, this is just the winter beard. This is just the Santa thing. It'll come <laughs> off later. Uh, but to what you said, so I just went through this with my brother, Jared on Gaza. He's been mm-hmm. co-hosting some and he did some, he rebranded my site and he, that's what he did. He's like, man, we got to pull out these things. He says like, you were a pro cyclist and in my past website didn't really even exist because to me, it's just something I did. He says, that's a big deal. Let's pull that out. That's a part of your life, man. You're always out on the trail. You're in the outdoors. So those are the things we're going to pull out and highlight like that caricature of, yeah. of you. You're interested in family and health and wellness. Cause there's somebody else doing a self-help show that you're going to be on. Uh, and they are into, yeah, they live in New York yeah. city. They take Uber everywhere. They don't have any kids. They got a dog and a half and they, whatever. And they're different makeup and they've got their people that are going to listen to them and they're going to highlight that caricature. So yeah, I really appreciated that. I'm glad you brought up that Chris Rock thing that in your brand, so to create that, you're going to kind of three times amp, but Mm -hmm. again, not in an inauthentic way. We're going to take those things and just kind of highlight them. No. Well, think about Jared. You mentioned, you mentioned your brother Jared and he's one of the people I was thinking of when I was saying this, like he he's got tattoos, you know, quite a few. So for him, in his public persona for him to wear a long sleeve shirt, I think would be disingenuous to his brand because yeah. it's not highlighting something about him that stands out. I had a, a lady and this isn't just about appearance. Let's move on from that. You think about, you know, if you've got a Southern accent, you have one of two choices, either get rid of it completely, you know, don't, don't tune it down, <laughs> yeah. tune it up yeah. a little bit. Now, am I saying being disingenuous and start talking like you are literally from Eastern Kentucky when dude, you're from Atlanta. You know, yeah, <laughs> like, I wish I had Zig, in, Zig Ziglar's, you know, yeah, his you accent, grew up man. in Franklin, Tennessee, like I did, you yeah. know, and, and your dad did, but your dad was from Ohio and, you know, in Buffalo. So he didn't sound like he was from Franklin, you know, but if you grew up in Tennessee, yeah. then, you, you know, you just, you lean into that Southernness, lean, you in, lean into good. that California. Yeah. It's you lean into the Californianness, you know, lean into in your speaking style. I'm a, I'm a personally a very handsy speaker. You know, for those, yeah, Kevin, you can see it. For those of you listening, yeah. you have no idea what I'm talking about. But I'm a handsy speaker. And I was so self-conscious of that. When I was first did like television interviews and stuff like that, 20 years, 2002, I did my first television interview. I was running for school board. And I was so conscious that I kid you not, I had nail marks on my thighs from burying my hands into my thighs because I didn't want to move my hands at all. And then finally, I realized, like, I don't use my hands now more than I think I should. I just don't tune it down, Yeah. you know? So whatever it is, I, 
yeah, when I go to dinner with my with my kids and my wife and, and I'm talking about my day, am I going to be like, hey, kids, today we did this and we had a team meeting and it was amazing. Woo! I don't talk like that, but I'm on a podcast and I'm talking to people yeah. who don't know me about something I'm passionate about. So do I get a little bit excited? And yeah, we do that. So just find that thing and amplify it. That's really, that's the core crux. Of it. And don't be afraid to do that. Don't be afraid to stand out because- like the thing about being around in our time, you know, is never been easier to get noticed. We can, anybody can go post something on Twitter and, and 50 people can see it really quickly, even if you're not quote unquote an influencer. So it's never been easier to get noticed, but it's never been harder to stand out. Yeah. And there's a correlation between those two, perhaps even a causation. So standing out's never been harder. So we've got to work at that. And, you know, to be fair, and I'll probably put this in the intro, of course, people would love to know, okay, exactly. So how should I go promote myself and market? And I mean, that's so individual. Go get Matt's book and go sign up for Matt's stuff. That's what he does with you as an individual. This is a concept uh, show. And one of the things I wanted to, to hit for sure is it's really step two in your book is commit to leading. So mm. the amount of books, uh, if you could see under my desk, I think I have eight boxes <laughs> of books and then there's a the one behind me. Yeah, yeah, that all. Uh, so many, I matter of fact, I, I thought about making like a bookshelf out of books. I got this idea, so I'm going to, I'm going to do it. Uh, yeah, a bookshelf out of books. Um, but mm. I have, meta. I, thank you. I get so, <laughs> so many and so many on leadership. And I always wonder, man, does everybody really want to be a leader? Do they see themselves? Do they resonate as a leader? And so you talk about that. And I appreciate that you say in essence, man, if you have experience in something that you can help somebody else with, that's leading. Don't get caught up in being this big rah, rah, take charge, alpha male, whatever, female leader. That's not it. But if you are, well, you keep saying influencer, that's a way of leading. That's I think differentiates. So, so hit on that because yeah, I think people get caught up in that and a little bit dismissive of, okay, look, dude, I'm not out to be a leader. I just want to help people. Okay. I got to check my own book here just to make sure I don't misattribute this yeah uh john maxwell uh-huh. so the, the quote in the beginning leadership is influence three words okay that's all leadership is i mean that if you really think about it, it is it's influence why are generals great leaders they influence their men to and women to do things that quite frankly how irrational was it to storm the beaches of normandy if you think about it yeah yeah, we realized that there was an impact and it completely changed the course of world history. But do you think they were honestly thinking about that in that moment? That's an irrational, almost idiotic thing to do that we probably, as proud as many of the parents were after the fact, if we were there with them, would have, would have held them back. I would hold my son back, I guarantee you. I mean, I'll, I'll admit it. You know, I mean, I, 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 but the leadership, that influence is what got them to do that. And so we yeah. think about that in terms of business and in terms of like a platform, in terms of, I'm not talking about leading your people. I'm not I'm talking about leading, you know, followers, you know, people who are your customers, right? And so there's a lot of misconceptions around leadership, but ultimately it comes down to leadership as influence. And one of the misconceptions I read about in the book is like, there's this misconception that in order to be a leader, we have to be two miles ahead of our audience. We have to be the world's greatest expert. We have to have the letters behind our name and we have to have a, you know, we have to go into Harvard yeah. to be a leader in the medical field or to be a, a whatever. To, we have to, we have to have done all these amazing things and worked for such and such company. You know, there's so many books today, their entire qualification for writing the book is they worked at Google. You know, and I think that's just a, an odd thing, you know? So we think that we think we have to be two miles ahead. And, and I, the example that I put in there is like, imagine you're on a hike 
So you're on a hike. You got this super fit friend, the kind of friend who's always been, he's been fit since he was 18 years old. He, you know, he jogs in place at stoplights. Uh, he wears bike <laughs> shorts to a cookout, smells like soup mix all the time. You don't have to ask him if he's done CrossFit today because yeah. he's already told you six times and yeah. it's not even, you know, lunch yet. We got that friend. You're on a hike with him. And where is he? You're three miles into the hike. He's two miles up ahead yelling back at you going, hey, hurry up and watch out for the, watch out for the what? What am I supposed to be watching out for? You're too, I don't even know what you said. You're two miles ahead of me. Yeah. Better place to lead. Same guy, same super fit guy. Maybe he's not a super fit. Maybe it's just a guy who's just like you. I don't know. But the same friend, and he's one step ahead of you. Yeah. And he reaches back and he grabs your hand, and you're on the journey with him. And he says, hey, watch your step here. It's dangerous. If you slip, you might fall and die. And every time I tell that story, I picture a particular hike that I've been on a few times where, yeah, there's a spot. It gets very narrow and one wrong step. And at the best, I'm going to be paralyzed. Yeah. You know, and I think about that, that if I'm with a friend, I know this trail, I can move faster than them. But that's not leadership. Leadership is, hey, I'm right here with you. Watch out. This, this part's dangerous. And so if we think about that, I think about that. We only have to be one step ahead. We only have to be one step ahead. It's easy to get past what we hear about leadership. Now, this applies to every aspect of leadership. And I, I write about it in the context of starting a business. How do you feel about being a leader? Well, Matt, it's hard. It's yeah. scary. I'm not qualified. Yeah. I'm inadequate. It's overwhelming, whatever the case may be. Here's the problem. Those are understandable responses, but they're totally normal, but they're focused on me. Yeah. They're focused on the leader, not your avatar that we just talked about. I'm focusing on me. It is hard for me there. I can't tell you how many times I don't want to do a video. I don't want to go live today, but that's about me. That's about me and my schedule. That's about me and the fact that I've, you know, not feeling well. I didn't get enough sleep last night. I don't feel qualified. I don't feel adequate enough to do this. It's not about Pete. So yes, it can be scary. Yes, I feel inadequate. I've never, I've never once felt confident in my ability to do one of these podcasts. Yeah. To be able to talk like any, like I'm making sense to anybody, Kevin. I will, I don't know I'll ever feel that way. I will always completely be inadequate, but that's about me. Cause I know in my heart of hearts that if I come on here, somebody is going to be impacted by this. Uh, somebody is going to, somebody is going to change somebody's life. And I might, I'm going to finish and go, gosh, I should have done this, this, and this, and that, and that, and that. And you know what? I suck at this, but that's about me, not them. Well, I see, I see you sometimes, Matt, and back to, you mentioned Michael Hyatt. Um, I remember, I hadn't really thought of the term, man, it's been a while ago, but he started getting labeled somewhat as a curator for, you know, tech things yeah. and business stuff. And I thought, gosh, that's interesting because that's not even in a sense a step ahead as we think about it with expertise and know-how. It's just saying, look, man, I'm just taking the time. You're doing your thing. I'm taking the time to study this thing. And I'm just going to bring you kind of what I found. Doesn't mean mm -hmm. that I'm doing it. Doesn't mean that I've figured it out. And to a degree, I feel like that with this show. I mean, of all the books behind me and all the amazing people I've had on, am I an expert in all those things? I'm not an expert in none of them for the most part. I'm sitting here as a student Maybe I'm a step ahead or two. Maybe I'm not. Maybe I'm just a curator and I'm bringing this stuff as I'm a student along with everyone else. And how amazing that people tune into that and I get paid very well for that. It reminds me of, was it Tim Ferriss? Do you remember who used to, somebody that we know, uh, I'm sure it's in our, in our mutual uh, group here, used to label themselves as like the crash test dummy for you know health and wellness or tech. Somebody did that. Yeah. It was, I, I, 
Was it? Was it Tim? Yeah, for health and wellness. So I'm going to try this funky thing or do whatever. Let's see what happens to me. That wasn't, but it was a leadership though. He was doing it and we got to view that. Pretty interesting opportunity. I mean, what you're doing is leadership though. You know, what what Alan Thomas is doing is leadership. Um, he, he would be the first to tell you, could he have lost the weight a little bit faster if he'd known the science and the neurology and the the nutrition and if, maybe if he had known exactly what exercises to do and how to do them in this right specific order, kinesthetically, could, instead of it taking nine and a half months to lose 129 pounds, could it have only have taken nine? Absolutely. He'll tell you that. If yeah. he'd eaten a little bit different, could he have lost it a little bit faster? Could he have lost? Absolutely. But, but you still look at the results and go, okay, you you got the result that I want. You know, when I talked to him and that's what I said, I was like, you got the result that I want. You just tell me how you did. I can figure out the other little things if you want to. And it completely transformed my life. And it can, he's transformed the lives of, you know, dozens or hundreds of other people. And so the same is true. Um, you know, you think about anybody, think about anybody like they, they, as a leader in their field, they didn't necessarily have it all figured out. There's a story yeah. uh, in the book I'll share that like, I want, I want to share, I want to share this because I think, I think it, it sums it up so well. Um, and there's more to it. There's a part of the story that I didn't get to write in the book. As we, as I mentioned earlier, I finished the manuscript over a year ago and the problem is you lock it down and then it just sits there for a year. And I'm like, no, but there's more to it. I can yeah. go add like 800 words. You're like, no. <laughs> yeah. um, so the cool thing is I get to share that with everybody today. So there's this lady I was talking to about a year and a half ago, two years ago. And she had applied for our mastermind. And the final step in our mastermind is that you do a phone call with me where I just make sure that you're, you know, you're, you're a right fit for the mastermind. Right. And sold her. She's like, Matt, I'm ready to sign up. Where do I pay? But I have one question. Shoot. She says, I, I don't feel like I even know what I want to do for my platform. I was like, why not? You, you just told me you have two autistic children and you want to help parents of autistic children. She's like, yeah, but I'm not an expert at that. She's like, I didn't go to Harvard. I'm not a doctor. I dropped out of community college. You know, all these, th like all the excuses we hear. I'm not an expert. I don't know the medicine. I don't know the neuroscience. She's like, I only learned what a cerebellum was two years ago. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, I'm like, but didn't you say you have two autistic children? She's like, I do. I said, and you also told me that at 13 and 10 years old, they're adjusting and they're successful. They're A students. They don't cause trouble. They have friends. All the things that, parents of autistic children dream about for their kids. Yeah. She's like, yeah. I said, well then talk about that. And she was like, well, but I just, she's like, man, I don't, I don't have the credentials. There's all these books by these people that know more than I do. And I said, I don't know what made me ask this question. And to this day, it's one of those things where I, I don't, I don't know that I would ask it again, even though it worked. And I remember as soon as the words came out of my mouth, I went, oh crap. <laughs> Did I really just say that? But I said, have you ever thought about killing your children? And she said, every day, she didn't get mad at me. She didn't say, I cannot believe you. Asked. She said, every day. And I got to thinking about it. I'm like, every parent feels that way sometimes. Like, I don't mean we're thinking of ways to drown right, our right. children. Like, please don't misunderstand me. But we reach the point, whether they have autism or not, we just reach the point where we go, I can't do it anymore. And so she's like, every day. And I went, then talk about that. Hmm. She's like, talk about what? I said, the fact that you've felt that way, but you've never done it. 
The fact that you have two kids who are doing great in school and have friends despite having autism and that you basically, quite frankly, have have achieved the dream that every parent of an autistic child wants to achieve and you've done it twice. Just talk about your life. And this is a part that's not in the book because it, it happened later, but about six months ago or so, she wrote me and said, hey, just want to give you an update, Matt. She has over 10,000 YouTube subscribers. She's having an impact on all these people. And she recorded a video. We had talked about this on the call. I said, there's your first video. And she didn't listen to me. She didn't do it as her first video. She did it as like her 25th video. But she ta- she did a video about traveling with an autistic child. And I didn't know this until I talked to her, but it's a nightmare for the parents of autistic children because you're taking a kid who lives on routine yeah. and they they wake up and then they go to bed and they do this at this time. And many of them are like that. And that's how their lives are. And suddenly you're disrupting the routine because you're waking them up early. You're putting them in bed late. You're putting them on a metal tube and putting them at 38,000 feet. Their ears are popping and they don't know what's going on. And there's people that are really close to them. I don't have autism and I'm stressing out thinking about being on an airplane right now. And it's this crazy environment and she's done it successfully. And she did a video about it. And there was a comment from a lady that I'll never forget. She said, I have, I have an autistic seven-year-old. I haven't left our county in four years because I've been afraid to go anywhere. Wow. Because of your video, I just booked a flight for us to Hawaii. Wow. And I'm thinking, she didn't have the letters. She wasn't a doctor. She hadn't written the book. She didn't go to Harvard. She didn't have any of that. Like She didn't even graduate community college. And so, but she's a leader for over 10,000 people who watch every one of her videos. That's all it is, if you think about it. Well, I want to go right there because, and folks, you know, I, I'm shameless in promoting my guests, their books. I mean, as you go on in the book, the table of contents, you know, convert visitors into subscribers, convene and cultivate community, champion their cause, create raving fans. I mean, he goes through all this stuff. So go get the book, go to mattmcwilliams.com. I mean, go, go there and, and check it out for your specifics. But we're a highlight I wanted to hit on was right where you talked about kind of the heart of it, which is step three in your book, capture attention. And what I love is you don't come and go capture attention. All right. Social media, start your Instagram account. Start this. The first part you come to is kind of along the lines of what you just talked about with that lady in autism. And it's show your audience, your avatar, show them that you understand. Mm-hmm. That is not what we think about when we think of capturing attention. We think about coming up and commanding it and, and doing whatever. Yeah. You're saying show that you understand as step one in capturing your attention. That's a paradigm shift. And that's what I want. I don't want us to miss that today. Talk about that. That's new. Yeah, you're, you're never going to stand out. I mean, capturing attention is all about standing out. Uh, we talked a little bit about that earlier, and I go like really, really deep in the book. But it, it's it's about standing out. It's about being personal. You know, it's about your audience understanding, like, Kevin's the go-to guy. Uh, He gets me. Alan gets me. Jonathan gets me. Carrie Wilkerson, I know she's she's been on the show. Yeah. Uh, you know, she, she, the barefoot executive, right? And and she gets up there and with her southern accent and and all those things, right? And you know, she's barefoot and she's a mom and and she she gets she gets them, like especially women. Now I'm a fan of hers, and you know I've been friends with her for years. But I'm a fan, and I'm and I'm a dude. But women especially go, she gets me. Mm-hmm. You know, that that's what we're looking for. You know, I think my friend Darren Sargent. I write about him in the book. Darren was born. I think it's called ambiotic band. I have to ask him, but it's amb- I, I, I had to, I texted him. I was like, what is it that you were born with? And it like cut off the circulation in the womb to one of his arms, and so he has one arm. Hmm. And so he goes out, and he you know this is a middle aged white guy again, going to talk to a diverse audience 
of high school students about overcoming adversity. If I walk out on stage with all my limbs, dressed fairly nice, pulled in the park parking lot and my Acura, you know, and all those things, what do you think they're going to be thinking about overcoming adversity? Dude, you have no idea. Right. You have no idea what I go through. Some of, some of them have parents who are drug addicts. Some of them, their parents are in prison. Some of them are are struggling with addictions themselves to various things. They've got they've got a brother who abuses them. I don't know. Like they just have a hard time. They they're dyslexic. They have ADHD. Whatever it is, like they're struggling with those things. And from just a pure physical appearance standpoint, I walk out on stage and I am completely unrelatable to ninety five percent of the people in that audience. Just by default, half of them, they're teenage girls. <laughs> Can't relate to any of them. Right. I have a, right. I'm about to have one and I'm scared of that, you know. Darren walks out, one arm missing, talks about adversity. He's got him hooked within a minute. Hmm. Because they know just through physical appearance, they can tell this dude's walking the talk. Yeah. He knows what it's like to overcome adversity. And so that's that idea of of being able to relate to your audience and, and for them to immediately form a bond with you. Yeah, I mentioned earlier, I'm a little bit younger than my average audience, but they look at me and go, you know, he's, he's a family. He's a family guy. You know, he's a family man and he loves his kids, he loves his wife, and he's not trying to, you know, show off stuff and and they can relate. And, and there's a story I tell in the book about the... Um, one of our clients, a uh, guy named Tom Weitzel, uh, Tom asked me on a, on, he sent me an email one day and he was like, do you want to know why I bought? I'm like, well, yes, because I call that market research. Mm-hmm. And he said, it's because I was, when, when you, I came into your world and then you were trying to, you know, we were selling a course on affiliate marketing and he was like, I'm kind of interested in that, but I don't know if I trust this guy. So I just happened to be going around your website and I found a blog where you wrote about the time you almost went to prison and you were just open and honest and said, Hey, I screwed up and probably deserved to go to jail, but didn't. And I got off easy and I'm grateful for that, but I learned a lesson and here's what the lesson was. And he said, I knew at that point, if you're willing to admit that like you've been in handcuffs and you've been fingerprinted and you know, Hey, you have a criminal record, you know, when you were 22 years old, uh, I could trust this guy. Yeah. And he's like, I, 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 I trust him. He's like, if he's willing to talk about that, I know that, you know, he's not going to just try to pretend everything's perfect about everything and that he's going to be blowing smoke up my butt for lack of a better term. And, uh, and that was that, you know, no, he, most people will never face prison and most people never will, but there's that relatability there. And, and I didn't do that because I was trying to like become more trustworthy. I wrote it because there's a lesson that I wanted to share and um, but that's what I'm talking about when it comes to standing out and capturing attention. You're the first thing that your audience has to say is, does this guy, does this woman get me? And are they the right person to help me to get to wherever it is I want to get in life? OK, that's where I, that's where I want to I want to anchor this then is because you and I talked about it last week when we were talking mm-hmm. was about culture. Um, so yeah. here I'll be candid with my audience. So I am grateful that I apparently uh, if I can humbly say, have good content, I have good conversations with Great people content. on, thank you <laughs> on meaningful, on meaningful issues, people like that. And we've got, yeah, 600 plus thousand downloads a month. I'm getting that much in spite of doing some things pretty poorly. And mm-hmm. when we talk about branding and positioning, 
what I'm going to go into, and this is what you, you, we hit on last week was culture. So you're listening to, it used to be the Ziggler show. Now it's a self-helpful show. What is it about? Oh, it's self-help and stuff. Yeah. But what is the, what's the flavor? What's the culture about that? What is listening to that show? I love that. How my brother, Jared Angaza put it. What does it imply about me? If I listen to that show and same Mm -hmm. thing about me as a host, who's Kevin Miller. I haven't really let known what I am, what I'm about. And that's what my brother did the work, uh, at my website, kevinmiller.co to say, this is this is what I, what I'm about. This is what I care about. This is what I'm interested in. So that you, you just use the word relate to me and we're starting to create a culture because man, if you listen to Joe Rogan, one of the most popular podcasts on planet earth, dude, he has a culture, you know, about he's about MMA and he's about, you know, his colorful language and he's about his opinion, whatever, you know, that, I mean, to be fair, Donald Trump did did a pretty good job. You kind of know what he's about. Uh, yeah, you could say that with Dave Ramsey too. I mean, he has done a good job of letting you exactly. know the culture. Okay. I wasn't doing that. I, I would just assume kind of be private. I don't really, I wasn't really pursuing being on stage. I don't really want to, I, I'm fighting my own ego. So I'm going to try not to talk about myself and my brother's saying, yeah, but people don't know what you're about. What is the culture? Again, what does it mean to listen to you host your show? What does that mean? So culture. I love that word. It's kind of bigger to me than branding and positioning. Will you talk about that? And you're talking about that in the stories, relating to people, letting them know who you are, that you understand them. And that is creating that culture. I don't think many people do it well. You have done it well. Um, and I can name some people, but I think by far and large, even a lot of people that we see who have gotten a stage, they've gotten some influence. They're not doing it. And again, I haven't done it well either. And we need to I mean, how would you say that coming back to that kind of highlighting those key pieces about yourself? You know, I mean, the culture piece, it, it comes from community, you know, it comes from building uh, the, the everyone who's listening to this has some sort of a thing that they can identify with that is similar. There's a thread that ties us okay. together. Um, you know, I write about in the book that like the word culture itself it comes from a Latin word. Don't ask me what it is. I, I had to look it up and I wrote it in the book. So I forget. Uh, but it, it means like, you know, to protect and cultivate, hmm. like we're, we're a part of the community. Hmm. And, and so one of the, my, probably my favorite story in the book is actually, uh, about my friend, Brian, who's he's, I read about his, like, this is, it, it shows you what culture is, right? So he's a Cincinnati Reds fan. And he'd been a you know been a fan since he was a kid. So if you think about like, so he was born about seven years before me. So we're talking like, you know, the Pete Rose era, the Johnny Bench era, uh, the guy uh, Joe Morgan, you know, Frank Robinson, guys like that. Like he was that was his era, and so he grew up watching the Reds when they won three World Series in like four years or whatever. And then he and his dad they kept going back. They would go to every game. Like that was their thing. They probably went to like 60 home games a year. They always sat with the same people, hmm. you know, and it it's literally like the stuff that movies are made of is the way he's describing this. It's like the same older couple and their kids and like the kids start marrying each other and they're going to like each other's bar mitzvahs and Christmas parties. It's, and, it's cheers, and man. It's, it's, it, yeah. it's cheers. Like, you know, and it grew and it grew and it grew. And then, as people started dying, there were new faces. And so things started changing when they left um, their old one riverfront, I think is what it was called. And they moved into the great American ballpark. They ended up sitting in the same spot Hmm. 
And the weird thing is, from the if you look at baseball, from the overwhelming majority of the 1980s, 90s, 2000s, and as far as I know, you know, most of the 2010s, the Cincinnati Reds were terrible. Hmm. <laughs> they were awful. But they still kept going 60, 65 games a year. Why did they go to those games? Because it was no longer about the product on the field. I'm not saying have bad products. That's right, not what I'm right, saying. Right, right. But it was no longer about the product in the field as it was the community. And when you can do that, then you've taken your business to that next level. Hmm. That's why this, you know, this step is in at, at step seven, you know, in the book. It's later in the book because, or step five, sorry, it's later in the book because we want to make sure that we've done the other foundational work first. But then we build that community. We build that community. And so your job as a leader is to take the relationship from just transactional from one to one to relational and one to in in many to many one to many and then many to many and that's your that's your job as a leader and so we talk about like you know if you think about great leaders who built great cultures uh, there's not many better than jesus you know uh gandhi had a culture steve jobs there's the apple fanboys right we are the most irrational people on earth Apple could literally start a nuclear war tomorrow and people like me would find a way to defend it. Yeah. You know, that's the kind of culture that we want. We build that culture. And, we, and so if you look at the, you know, the examples, like we're talking religious, you know, uh, politics, business, but these were the transformational leaders who got their followers to go above and beyond what was, what was expected of them, what they thought was even possible. They got their followers emotionally involved. That's a big key. They got them excited. They got them focused on the future. And so if we can do that with our followers and build that type of culture where everyone listening feels like, you know, this is for them, but then they're able to even connect with each other. Uh, that's, that's how we end up, you know, building a culture that lasts. That there you go. That, there's the mic drop right there. That is hopeful because we can all do that. We can all know what we're about, yeah. relate to people who we care about, and from that, uh, turn our passions into profit. So, in the intro, the outro, I'll give everybody the URL to go to. Obviously, you can get the book anywhere. Turn your passions into profits by Matt Mick Williams. But we'll have a, a URL to send you to as well because a lot of people are going to hear this. You're going to get excited and hopeful. And then wonder, okay, what, what do I do for my specific thing? How do I find out what my passion is or how to specifically, uniquely turn it into profits? That's what uh, Matt does. And I am uh, happy to shamelessly promote that. Man, thank you for doing what you've done. Thank you for the inspiration I've gotten from you. And uh, yeah, as we talked last time, I, we need to talk more because I, I need I need your help. I want your help to do better, to, to help uh make my passions more profitable and enjoyable and fulfilling and help more people with what I care about, Matt. Um, man, thank you uh, for being here. Thanks for doing what you do. It's an honor. Thanks for having me, Kevin. I really hope this talk has you thinking differently about this idea of doing something that you are passionate about, doing something you love and just doing something you care about, something that has meaning to you that's deeper than the paycheck alone and then looking at more viable ways to make money with it. So you can support yourself and you can keep doing that thing that truly gives you life because in doing so, you will give others much more life. Hey, thanks again for choosing to tune into the Self-Helpful Podcast. It'd be great if you would leave us a review. Best thing you can do, talk about it and keep the conversation going. Do more than just listen to it, but really engage. I sincerely hope I've helped you 
help yourself so that you can help others.